into congregation and they um, they sing a lot of the newer songs that I don't know. And uh, so when I get to have a song service that I songs that I'm acquainted with, I really enjoy that. Would you please turn in your Bibles if you have access to one? To Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. I'll begin our reading with verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Well, as soon as they knew that uh, Hagar was with child, we find that Sarai becomes very jealous of her. Now, God does not okay this. I want you to know this was a practice that was done in that day. And I'm not advocating that. I'm just giving you history at this point because the back, this furnishes the background for the theme of what we're going to study tonight. If you drop down to verse 6, we read, But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they shall be too many to count. The angel furthermore said to her, uh, said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. And the footnote says that means God hears. Ishmael, so call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. And he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live, up, uh, live to the east uh, of all of his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, Thou art a God who sees. The NIV says, You are a God who sees. The King James puts it in four very succinct words, and I have chosen those to be the theme for tonight's lesson. Thou, God, seest me. And I'm going to try to indelibly imprint that theme into our hearts tonight. I firmly believe that when we are very aware of the fact that our God sees us individually and for all that is there, good or bad, then that has a very definite uh, impact upon the way that we live. Time and again, the Bible affirms the fact, Thou, God, seest me. 
What I will do in our sermon tonight is I'm going to, first of all, give scriptural proofs of that as a fact. And we'll even look at some examples. Then we're going to look at an application of that. What does that mean? And then we will look at the consequences and then the response. If God does see us, how should we respond to that? I'd like for us now to turn to Judge, uh, Joshua chapter 6. In Joshua chapter 6, we find the Israel is beginning the campaign to conquer the land of Canaan. And God gives some very specific instructions in Joshua 6 before they ever conquer that. And I'm going to read beginning with verse 17. God says this, And the city shall be under the ban, if and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban, lest you covet them and take some of the things under the ban, so that you would make the camp of Israel accursed. And bring trouble on it. But in all, but all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Well, we know the story of how Jericho was taken. And uh, it was taken successfully. And as the song says, the walls came tumbling down. And the uh, people went in and they conquered. And, and everything was looking good. Chapter 6 is great. But chapter 7 is a different story. Look at seven one. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now, I want you to notice one man caused it to be said that the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully. In the next verses, we find that as a result of that, uh, Israel lost a what would look, look like it would be just a very simple victory at Ai. But they not only lost it, but there were 36 men, Israelites, who lost their lives in that. Well, when that happened, Joshua was crushed. And he goes before the Lord, I mean, verse 7. Alas, O Lord God, why didst thou ever bring this people over to Jordan, only to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell among the, among the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say, since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all of it, they, uh, all the land of it, they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth and... Uh, what wilt thou do for thy great name? Joshua is just devastated. What are we going to do? Now, I want you to notice what God says. And keep in mind the theme. I've not gotten away from it. Thou, God, seest me. 
Verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban in your midst. Rise up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, There are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. In the morning, then, you shall come near by your tribes, and it shall be that that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come uh, near by families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And it shall be that the one who is taken with the things under the ban shall be burned with fire, he and all that belongs to him because he's transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he's committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. Well, uh, Joshua wastes no time in doing that. In fact, in verse uh, 16 it says, So Joshua rose early in the morning and he began doing that very thing. Well, the lot came down to a man by the name of Achan. And those of you who studied your Bibles, you know this story very well. And uh, finally, Achan is brought before Joshua. And I'm dropping down to verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, I coveted them and took them. And behold, they're concealed in the earth inside my tent and the silver under it. Joshua sent men. They got it, brought it back, confronted him. He says, yes, that, that is exactly what he uh, had done, and then comes a very sad, sad conclusion to this story. As they gather, not only all of those things, but all of his family. Verse 24 says, his sons and daughters, his oxen, donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. The footnote of that means trouble. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day, and the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Joshua did what the Lord Ask him to do. Achan knew about the ban. Why did he do what he did? He knew. 
But you know, the only reason that I can come up with that Achan did what he did is he needed the lesson that we're having tonight. He needed to be reminded, Thou, God, seest me. He thought he could take those things and get by with it. That's what he thought. Did he think that it, 36 men would pay with their lives, much less his own and th- those of his family? No. He thought that he would be able to get by with those things, and he needed to have that lesson. But let me ask you a question. Have we ever played the Aiken? Just every one of us. You know, we may not have stolen anything, but we have fulfilled some kind of a fleshly desire that we knew the Lord did not want us to do. And we need very greatly to be reminded, Thou, God, seest me. There is a passage of Scripture that I have underlined in my Bible, and I would advise you to do the same. Proverbs 15 and verse 3. It says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. My New American Standard says, Watching the good and evil. Eyes of the Lord everywhere. Watching the good and evil. And the evil. Now, if that does not apply to what we're discussing tonight, someone is, needs to inform me. I mean, you take me to the side, please. Don't do it. Don't embarrass me in public. But you take me to the side, and you get me educated. But if you are not pretty convincing, I'm going to say that applies to what we're discussing tonight. Now, James chapter four. Verses 13 and 14 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of the Lord. For the Lord cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. And lust, when it is conceived, brings forth sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's the King James translation that I memorized many moons ago of John 4, verses 13 and 14. Now, that's scriptural proof. Now let's look at the application, and I'd like for us now to turn to Psalm 139, the 139th Psalm, another passage that most of us are familiar with, and I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. Psalm 139, New American Standard Translation. Where can I go from thy spirit, or where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the, of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me, and thy right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to thee, and the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to thee. Now, this has two, or can have, two different applications. One can be negative, and the other extremely positive. The negative is that God sees 
everything and you can't hide anything. Well, that's true. Hebrews 4 verse 13 tells us, No creature is hidden in thy sight, neither is anything uh, from his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So, it is true. And even if you would go back to verses 1 through 6 uh, in Psalm 139, which is the context of what we just read, 7 through 12, let me read that, because that affirms that God sees and knows. I'm in Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou didst know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou didst understand my thoughts from afar. Thou didast scrutinize my path and my lying down. Thou art intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word on my, is on my tongue uh, is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, Thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. So, yes, and that's the negative. God sees and he knows it all. And I remember as a young boy that there used to be a song in our songbook. There's an all-seeing eye watching you. And some of you are nodding yes. And I envision, I'm just a little kid, and I envisioned this great big eyeball, and it was trained right on me. You know, I, I, I don't know what you ever thought about that. But um, I believe that we need to take this text and put a positive spin to it. I know, thou God seest me can be negative. I understand that. But I'm going to now ask you to think about the fact that verses 7 through 12 says, there is no place you can go. I mean in the outer space or whatever, there is no place you can go that God is not there to protect you and to oversee you. And I say that, I want you to look with me again at verse 10. I'm in Psalm 139, verse 10. As he says, Even there thy hand will lead me, and thy right hand will lay hold of me. So that is the positive. When we are in major need, isn't it wonderful to know, Thou, God, seest me. I go back to the Psalms, and in Psalm 125 and verse 2, we read, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. I love that. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, and I've read where there are seven mountains that surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. Thou, God, seest me. It's not that he's a big, bad policeman trying to zap you because you step out of line. I want you to think of God as a loving father who is trying to encourage and support. I believe that that's true. That's biblical. That's biblical. Let's go to Psalm 121. If you've opened to 125, it's probably across the page. 
I'm in Psalm 121. I'm going to read the entire psalm. It's eight verses long. You know, there's something to be said for public reading of the Scriptures. The Bible talks about that. And so I'm doing quite a bit of reading, but it's the Bible. Let's read it. I will lift up my eyes into the mountains. From whence shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Thou God seest me. But there are some consequences. And really, what bothers me is, after this life, then what? Achan's confession, you remember we read it, first, uh, or rather, Joshua 7, verse 20. He said, I have sinned, and this is what I did. His confession did not allay the punishment. And what I want us to understand is, There is an eternity beyond. This life is not all there is. And we are very familiar with the fact that after death comes judgment. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. Several scriptures point to the fact that there is a resurrection of the dead. And in that resurrection, there is going to be two very opposite consequences Involving which direction we go. James, or rather John 5, verses 28 and 29. Jesus says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming when all that are in the graves shall come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life. Those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Well, that's what Jesus had to say. Hebrews 11 and verse 35 The last part of that verse sets forth a phrase that I think we need to really look at. The entire verse reads, Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, to me, a better resurrection implies a Worser, that's not a good English, but a worse resurrection, that's what it implies. I want to be in the better resurrection. I now go to Romans chapter 14, and the last part of verse 10 says, So we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow... To me, and every tongue shall praise the uh, praise, give praise to God. So then, each one of us shall give account of himself before God. We're probably more familiar with Second uh, Corinthians five verse ten, that said, "We shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad." What really bothers me is the next verse. I'm in 2 Corinthians 5. I just quoted verse 10, but look at verse 11. Knowing therefore the fear, the King James says terror, 
of the Lord, we persuade men. That's what the Bible says. So, thou God seest me, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. I now go to Mark chapter 9. In verse 43, Jesus is now talking. He says, and if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire. And you will notice if you keep on reading that he, this last phrase is repeated again in verse 45 and again in verse 47. If you have the New American Standard, I think the NIV also has the footnote uh, to the word hell is Gehenna. And there is a little background there that paints a very graphic picture. And I want to give you that background <clears throat> because I think it is extremely important in the context of the fact, Thou God seest me. Many centuries before Jesus came on uh, the scene, a wicked man, a king by the name of Ahaz, had introduced idolatrous worship of Baal, and with that, the fire god Moloch. As the children of Israel turned from worshiping to God, they began worshiping Moloch and making their children pass through the fire, which simply means they were absolutely sacrificing their children. And if you want to read about that, you go to Jeremiah chapter 19 and 2 Chronicles chapter 35, and you can read all of that. I'm not going to take time uh, for us to read that. But that enraged God. This was detestable. Later, in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 10, we're told that the godly king Josiah declared that the valley where these despicable things had been taking place to be defiled. He said it was useless for anything except to pile garbage and rubbish in. It became a garbage heap, and it became known as the Valley of Hinnom. You can read that in Joshua 15 and verse 8, or Gehenna, which means lamentation. And so that place, just southeast of Jerusalem, became the spot where sewage and garbage was taken from the city of Jerusalem. A sewer system was built that emptied the sewer right out into that valley. Dead animals were thrown there and all of the criminals who died unmourned, and uh, there they were. They had fires. Uh, there was a perpetual fire that was kept burning to consume the putrid bodies and the trash. The flames flared and smoldered and never went out. Worms were continually glutting themselves on the dead bodies that were there. The smell of sewage fouled the air from a long ways away. And at night, you could see the fires as they were smoldering, and they never, never went out. So, it was this picture 
that Jesus used fittingly as he tried to describe a place of punishment. And everybody that was a part of that world in those days knew this is a place I am going to stay away from. And so that's the way the word hell was uh, brought about. Jesus borrowed a word that any thinking person would know. They don't want to go there. And in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20, we find the place is called a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about coming back and separating the sheep from the goats. And uh, to the sheep he will say come, and to the goats he will say go, and uh, go into eternal uh, punishment. Now, in view of all of that, now though that's the consequences. What we've done is we've seen the scriptural proof, we've looked at the application, and then we've looked at the consequences, and now in the little bit of time that I have remaining, we are going to look at what our response should be. Thou God seest me. What God sees determines where we are going to go in eternity. And the big question is, what is our response going to be? Now, there are some that choose to deny or ignore it. I'm in now, now in Acts chapter 26. We'll look at Acts 26 as Paul is before King Agrippa. And uh, I'm going to start reading with verse 22. And so having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he should be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles, And while Paul was saying this, in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him with all confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these escaped his notice For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And King and Agrippa replied to Paul in a short time, You will persuade me to become a Christian. Here we find a man who is not a godly man who says, What you say is very convincing. But I want to turn back one page, Acts chapter 24, as I find Paul before Felix, and uh, I begin our reading with verse 24. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about the faith in Christ Jesus. And as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, 
and the judgment to come. Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. Now, the NIV, the King James, and the New King James, all three, instead of saying, when I find time, say, when I find a convenient time. What he was saying is, what you say scares me. I know that it is true, but I am not going to take care of my spiritual needs right now. And when I get a convenient time, I will call for you. That is the response of some people. And all I have to say is Isaiah 55 and verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. When you feel the call of the Lord, don't put it off. But then there are others who will let these truths and the fact, Thou God seest me, move them to obey the gospel, and they will not put it off. I just make the statement that obedience to the gospel is not difficult, and it is a beautiful thing. It is meaningful. It's like a marriage ceremony. In fact, I use that, that term that it's, it's like getting married to the Lord when a person will confess that they believe in Christ and uh, turn from all others and allow themselves to be married to the Lord. The blood of Christ washes their sins away and they are in a new relationship, a covenant relationship with the Lord. Tonight I have tried to use a theme that I hope you will not forget Based on Genesis 16:13 in the King James, Thou, God, seest me. It's in there. And I hope that you'll underline that and you'll remember, God does see me. And if you have some need that you will not postpone, you will just take care of that and do that while together we stand and sing.